Well, David has to be one of the most colorful characters in all the Bible. He was no perfect man. He had significant failures and sins in his life. Some years ago, we spent some time going through a whole series on the life of David. David, nonetheless, serves as the prime example of a godly leader in the Old Testament. Every succeeding king God compares to David. He, either he was like David or he wasn't like David. So David stands in stark contrast to the self-willed leadership of King Saul, the first king, long before David ever assumed the role of being king over Israel. And what's really interesting is that the promised Messiah not only will descend from David's line, Jesus is called the son of David, but is at times in prophecy called not just the son of David, but David. David was close enough to God that, that God thought it appropriate to actually call the Messiah David, not just the son of David. Well, tonight we want to look at the portrait of David in his early years, even before he became king. God chose him to lead the people of Israel and when we are introduced to David in the passages we look at tonight, we're going to see why. Five things we'll look at tonight. First, his God-centered heart. Second, that he was anointed and empowered. These numbers after it are chapters. Um, third, he was providentially directed or providential direction in chapter 16. And then God's God-driven courage, chapter 17, and public acclaim in chapter 18. So let's first start with maybe the thing we remember most about David in terms of the positive, and that is his God-centered heart. 1 Samuel 13, verses 13 to 14, Saul has disobeyed the Lord. He has offered a sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel to come. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. This striking description, a man after his own heart. What does that mean? Well, it means a man who cares about what God cares about. Like, you know, if a dad loves to hunt and he says, oh, my son is, is you know, he's, he's after my own heart, then chances are that son likes to hunt too. If a mom likes to cook or a mom likes to play tennis or, or whatever, uh, then when we talk about our kids and they're similar to us, we'll say, well, that kid's after my own heart. He cares about the things that I care about. So part of what God cared about was that his people have a shepherd who would lead them where they needed to go instead of leading them in a self-directed way the way Saul did. And it turns out David is a shepherd. David takes care of sheep. David leads them to pasture. And one day he's going to take care of people, and he's going to lead them toward God. 
David protected the sheep for lions and bears. He put his life on the line and trusted God to give him victory over dangerous animals. And he would do the same for the people of God. He wasn't living life for his own glory or pursuing his own goals. He wasn't going to be the kind of guy that gave excuses like King Saul did. He was doing what he had been assigned to do and doing it for the glory of God. Think about it. David is taking care of sheep and God already describes him as one who cares about what I care about. Yahweh, the Lord, sought him out. I think it's really interesting. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. I think we can safely say that God is still looking for individuals like that in every generation, people who care about what God cares about. And God has special plans for them just like he had special plans for David. The second reference to David, and in both these references, he's not even named. We don't even know who he is. We just know he's a man after God's own heart. And then in 1 Samuel 15, 28, Samuel said to him, said to Saul, this is the second time that Saul has been disobedient. He didn't wipe out the Amalekites. He spared them. He listened to the people. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours, who is better than you. In what way was David better than Saul? Well, it wasn't that David was sinless, but because David cared about what God cares about, David lived his life to please God and to advance his cause. Now, this is what I found maybe the most amazing thing about David at this stage. In chapter 16, we're going to learn that David is the youngest of Jesse's sons. So when Samuel calls him a man after God's own heart, David is somewhere between 10 years old and 15. Think about that. Let that sink in a little bit. I was just curious, how many of us here tonight, how many of you here tonight are somewhere between 10 years old and 15? You're between 10 years, hold it, why don't you stand up? I want to see who you are. Stand up. I'm 10 years old to 15 years old. Okay. Look at, look at these individuals. This is the age that David was when God said, I'm looking for a man after my own, my own heart, and I found him. You may sit down. Thank you for being bold that way. Now, in Sunday school, one of the Sunday school classes, Age of Opportunity, we're talking about parenting teens. This is the younger end of the teenage years. And here you have David, already at this age, who is a man after God's own heart. I mean, it's interesting that God doesn't even say a kid after my own heart. He says, a man after God's own heart. So, I'd like us all to think about this, whether you're 10 years old or 110. I don't think we have a 110-year-old here, but some, everybody's in between. Most people are in between. We have, I know we have some people that are under 10, okay? So, uh, David didn't become a man after God's own heart just suddenly like that. Um, probably God could have said this about him earlier. But 
But let's ask ourselves this question. How would God describe you? Like if God wasn't even using your name, just says, if you want to know what, what the essence of this person is, here it is. How would God describe you? And then this question, because David's just the youngest kid in the family taking care of the sheep, okay? Where has God assigned you for now? What has God given you to do? Like you that are 10 years old to 15 years old, what has God given you to do right now? What's your job? Okay, think about what your job is. What are the things that you have to do? It's your job to do, right? Well, are you that person after God's own heart while you do those things? What do you think God cares about in the circumstance you're in? Like if you're in school, if that's where God's put you, what does God care about for you to be doing while you're in school? If, if you're living in a family, and I think most of you are, what does God care about for you to be doing while you're living in that family? As you get older, as you're working in a job, as you're doing the very, what does God care about that you be doing? Where does God expect you to be in terms of, in relationship to his word? What, what does God care about in terms of talking to him in prayer? By the way, is it difficult for a 10-year-old to talk to God? Does anybody think that would be hard for a 10-year-old to do? I think a, a five-year-old can talk to God. In fact, in listening to five-year-olds pray, I think they pray better than a lot of adults I've heard. They're not so cynical. They're, they're more willing to trust God. Think about how cool it would be if at five and six and seven and eight and nine and 10, and then on from there, you're a person that God would say, there's a man or a woman after my own heart, and, and he or she talks to me all the time and, and pays attention to my word and is trying to serve me where I have put them for now. How cool would that be? That, that would mean that, that at 10 years old, I could actually be on mission. I could be like a David with a heart for God because I'm looking at God as my shepherd. So next thing that we see about David in chapter 16 is that he was anointed and empowered. God chose him, so now God's going to make him ready for his task. When the prophets would come to anoint somebody, pour out oil on them, it, it was to symbolize the Holy Spirit being poured out on them to give them the power and the ability to do what God had called them to do. So Samuel goes... And, and he's told by God, he doesn't even know David's name yet. He doesn't know who the person's going to be. He just knows he's a person after God's own heart that's better than Saul. That's all he knows. And he knows that he's one of the sons of Jesse. So he goes to find Jesse's family, and the sons come out. And when they came, he looked on Eliab, that's the oldest one, and he thought, well, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He must have been really good looking and strong and, you know, like the, the perfect leader. 
And the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, how tall he is, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. So we know that the the one the Lord has chosen, the one that he was looking for, was somebody after his own heart, one who cared about the things God cared about. You know what he says about Eliab right there? He says, I've looked at Eliab's heart. He doesn't care about the stuff I care about. He doesn't. He might be good at sports. He might be tall. He might be good looking. But he doesn't care about what I care about. I can see his heart. And I want to remind you, like sometimes this is what people think. They think, well, you know, I'm in school right now. Someday when I get old, when, when I get through school, then I'm going to serve God. Ah, not likely. If you're going to serve God, you know when you need to serve God? Today. For one thing, you don't know that you're going to have another day. But, but the reality is that most people that are serving God when they're 30 and 40 and 50 were serving God when they were 13 and 14 and 15. Not all of them. I mean, God rescues some that are rebels, but, but you find that a lot of people start serving God really early on. That's the way Samuel was, and that's the way David was as well. Later, we're going to find out that Eliab is a proud, abusive man with a dismissive attitude toward his youngest brother, David, for no good reason, but that he is young, and despite the fact that Eliab saw Samuel anoint David to be the next king, he still treats him like dirt when David shows up with food for the soldiers when they are facing Goliath. Perhaps Eliab is not only proud, but also jealous. The two often go together. First Samuel 16, verses 11 through 13, Samuel said to Jesse, after he's looked at all, all the, the sons that had come before him, are, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. I mean, Jesse didn't think that, David, that Samuel would be interested in David. But Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. I mean, now, think about it. You're keeping the sheep. You get called in. This old prophet pours oil on your head and says, you're going to be the next king. And then he leaves. Like, was that a dream or like, did that really happen or what was that about? Or maybe that was just kind of some kind of, you know, that, that was supposed to be symbolic of something, but I don't know what it means. Um, but God's spirit rests on David. What, what Samuel was symbolizing with pouring out the oil actually happened for real. The spirit of God empowered David at this age. Now, at this point, David is no older than 15 years old. 15. But the Spirit of God is empowering him to do what God is calling him to do. He will need God's power because it's not going to be an easy road. 
Jesus has given every New Testament believer the Holy Spirit to indwell him or her. That's one of the gifts that the Messiah brings. And that's what the new covenant brings. When he says, I'll write their law in my heart, their hearts, he does it through the Holy Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, we do our walkabout life in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the sinful desires of our flesh. So yielding to the Spirit's control is really important. It, it's to be filled by the Spirit, the Spirit empowering us. It's not that we get more of the Spirit, it's that the Spirit gets more of us. He's, he's giving us the ability. And at times, the Spirit of God will rush on a person with unusual power so that we can survive trials and temptations and so that we can seize opportunities with God-sized courage. And that's what the Spirit did for David. It really calls all of us, when we think about what Jesus has done, to think about whether or not we're actually walking in the Spirit and living our life that way. So are you conscious of yielding to the Holy Spirit's control in your life? I can tell you this, when you lose your temper, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the opposite. Because the Holy Spirit produces long-suffering. He produces short-temperedness, not I'm not mean long-temperedness, not short, I said that backwards, and not short-temperedness, but long-temperedness. He, he helps you control yourself. Self-control is what the Spirit brings. Are you conscious of yielding to the Holy Spirit? And what does it look like when you do? Like, if you're conscious of it, what, what does that actually produce, and what happens when you don't? Think, think about how much happier you would be, how much more of a blessing you would be to people if, if you were yielding to the Holy Spirit throughout every waking hour. If you were asking God in every situation, what do you want me to do? If you're asking God, Lord, help me do this. I don't feel up to this. God, lead me, show me, help, help me, help me serve like Jesus, because that's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. The third thing we see in David is providential direction, the second part of chapter 16. You know, we see David anointed. So here he is, this little shepherd kid out in the countryside, and God says he's going to be king. You know, it's kind of like walking up to one of our 15-year-olds in, in youth group and say, guess what? You're going to be the next president of the United States. And the kid's going to go, if he's quick, you've lost your mind. Like, how, how is this even possible? How can I even get there? I live in Greenville, South Carolina. How in the world is a young teenager who keeps sheep in the countryside going to end up in the court of the king? And have any idea what being a king requires? Well, God is going to see to it that he gets to the right place and that he knows what to do. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 16, Saul is having difficulty. As soon as the Spirit came on David, the Spirit left Saul, and he started to be tormented by a spirit. And he says... One of his servants says, Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man 
who is skillful in playing the lyre. That's a stringed instrument. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing. A man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. There's the secret. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Now, isn't it extraordinary? All we know about David, first, we don't even know his name. He's a man after God's own heart and that he's better than Saul. Next thing we know about him is that he keeps sheep. And now suddenly we find out he's a musician. He's a man of valor. He's prudent. He's got all these character qualities that really come from the fact that the Lord is with him. So verse 21, David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Now, when David was out there keeping sheep, and even after he had been anointed by Samuel, you know, it's like, how in the world do you get from there to the court? Well, God could tear that. God used the difficulties Saul was going through to actually bring David right into the court of the king, where he's spending significant time with the king. If you will bow your will to God and let him be your shepherd, you will end up exactly where you're supposed to be whenever you're supposed to be there. Stop fretting about the future. Some of you are fretting about the future. Depending on where you are in life, there are different junctures in life where suddenly you're you're in a transition zone. Sometimes it's like when you're graduating from high school and you've got to choose a major in college. Sometimes you've graduated from college and you're not sure what's next. You're thinking you might get married, but you haven't found the right person, okay? Or maybe you have been married, you are married, but you're still trying to figure out what your career is supposed to be, what your job's supposed to be, where you're supposed to live. You move to a different section of the country. What church are we supposed to be part of? How are we supposed to serve? All these kinds of questions. And it seems like God often will put his people in this limbo zone where they can't see their way forward. In fact, it, it's, I, I'm thinking it might happen 100% of the time. I just, I, I've met so many people, have been in the experience myself, where you kind of you hit a dead end, you, you, you're leaving what you need, know how to do, and now you're suddenly thrust into a new situation. Some of you are coming up to retirement, and you're going like, what do I do next? What am I supposed to do next? You're back into the limbo zone and you don't like it at all. You're you're used to knowing where you're supposed to be eight o'clock every morning. And and now you're going like, what, what am I supposed to do with this next section of my life? Or maybe you've entered into a time where you've been diagnosed with some kind of a terrible disease or, or there's just something very different. You're in a different job situation. Things are changing. And you're in that limbo zone. Look, you're going to end up where you need to be if you're following the shepherd. Don't worry about it. Stop fretting about it. Trust the Lord to lead you every day. Do the next thing. 
Be the person after God's own heart. Care about what he cares about. Obey his direction. And you will go places you could have never imagined. You don't have to know where you're going if you stick close to the one who knows where he's taking you. You know, it's kind of like, remember, some of you are still kids, but all of you once were. Believe it or not, kids, all of us once were. You remember what it was like to sit in the backseat of the car while dad or mom is driving you someplace? You don't have to worry about the directions. You know you're going to get there because you're sitting in the back seat. And, and the one who's driving is going to get you there. So you don't worry about it. Well, look, God's driving. So take the back seat. Enjoy the ride. Trust him. Stick close to him, and you'll end up exactly where you're supposed to be. In chapter 17, we see David's God-driven courage. David is not yet serving in the army, so he evidently is not older than 19 at this point. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 24, of course, you have all the scene with Goliath uh, shouting out to Israel. They're all afraid of him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, that is Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Now, what you see in chapter 17 is a stark contrast of motivations. The soldiers are overcome with fear. And, and the only motivations they can think of of overcoming that fear is wealth, good connections by marrying the king's daughter, tax-free status. But there's not one of them stepping on up to take on Goliath on that basis. Those things weren't enough to take the risk. What was David's motivation? Taking away the reproach of Israel because Israel is the armies of the living God. Israel, God's reputation rests on Israel, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, and some of those armies are Israel's armies. For Israel to cower in fear and let this person defy the living God is for Israel to fail in their task. The soldiers are worried about money, good connections. David is concerned about God. 1 Samuel 17, 36 to 37, it comes out again. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord, Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the, this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And the Lord was. David is characterized by faith, not fear, because he is confident that God is with him as he has been in the past. I would suggest to you that that, that is the ultimate, the ultimate way to cure fear 
is knowing that God is actually with you in whatever battle you're facing. It, it quite literally makes you invincible because you know that God is bigger than any giant that you could possibly face. In verses 45 to 47, as David stands before Goliath, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. And, and in the story, you have description of how much this stuff weighs. I mean, this guy is huge. And these weapons are huge. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David's speech is full of God. He talks about God some six times in three verses. God's honor is at stake, and that's why David takes up the seemingly impossible fight. God is bigger, and God is stronger than any enemy David could possibly face. And it really leads us to this question as we think about our own lives. What risks are you willing to take for the cause of defending and promoting God's honor? The good news, according to Isaiah, is that your God reigns. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. There's not a place you can set your foot on planet earth or if you are flying into heaven where Jesus doesn't rightfully reign. And yet there's many people who do not know that. And there's many people that rebel against him. What, what are you willing to risk in order to promote the honor of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Finally, in verse 18, we see public acclaim. At this point, David has likely reached the age of 20 since he is serving in the army. In 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 7, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Having public acclaim was never David's goal. Never David's goal. But for him to serve well as king, he will need the trust and the loyalty of the people. He's already surpassed the current king in terms of popularity, and a band of devoted followers will stick with him through his fugitive years. And when he finally comes to the throne, the nation will rejoice. Don't seek to gain a following for yourself. Follow God. And those with a kindred heart will be happy to walk with you. It's actually a dangerous thing 
when people seek leadership with the ambition to be somebody. They usually abuse the sheep instead of leading them and shepherding them. David's success makes King Saul insanely jealous, and he's going to take it out on David, even try to kill him. In verses 8 and 9, we read, Saul is very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. And with those words, we know that trouble is coming. God is going to prepare his servant king by taking him through great trials. And we're going to look at that next time. But so far, here's what we know about David. He has a God-centered heart. He's anointed and empowered. He has providential direction, God-driven courage, and he's been given public acclaim. Chosen to lead. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, not one of us here will be another David. David's unique, just like each of us are unique. But we serve David's God, and we follow David's shepherd. And so, Lord, may we be people after your own heart, and may we follow you wherever you lead us. May we walk in the power that you give us to do what you've assigned to us to do. And, Lord, whatever our age, whether we're 5 or 6 or 7 or or 10 or 15 or 19 or 20, or 70, or 80, or 90, God, may we be living each day walking close with you in the company of those who are following you as well, that we might accomplish what you've given us to do to the glory of Jesus, who has made us his own and chosen us. For in his name we pray.